One of the biggest problems dogging the incoming Trump administration would be Donald Trump's vast business holdings conflicting with his performance as president. In the week after the election, the Washington Post reported that Trump D.C. hotel officials had done outreach to local foreign embassies. Trump met with Indian businessmen who work with his brand. Ivanka Trump took part in a state meeting with the Japanese prime minister. An Argentinian reporter said that Trump and his daughter had requested a business favor on a phone call with the Argentinian president. By the way, the favor was later granted. Trump himself told the New York Times that he'd be capable of running his his president along his business alongside his presidency. All of that was kind of disquieting. But Trump actually understands the problem now. He tweeted this morning, quote, I will be holding a major news conference in New York City with my children on December 15th to discuss the fact that I will be leaving my great business in total in order to fully focus on running the country in order to, all caps, make America great again. While I am not mandated to do this under the law, I feel it is visually important as president to in no way have a conflict of interest with my various businesses. Hence, legal documents are being crafted, which take me completely out of business operations. The presidency is a far more important task. So here's the deal. This isn't enough. We still need to know exactly how these legal documents will shape up. Is Trump giving up his ownership stake? There's no indicator he is. Will his children continue to run the business and yet continue to also advise him in his role as president? That would actually maintain the conflict. Will Trump liquidate his businesses? Really, really unlikely. In a joint statement, Richard Painter, who's George W.'s ethics lawyer, and Norman Elson, who's Obama's ethics lawyer, they said Trump's continued business interest would, quote, sometimes conflict with the public interest and constantly raise questions. But, but... At least Trump recognizes the problem. That's at least half the battle. We can actually hope that he'll be cautious enough to silo his businesses and political interests, preventing the taint of his scandal from destroying his White House before it launches. Good for Trump. Now let's pray that he carries out his pledge. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. All righty. So here we are. Lots to get to today. We're going to be having on Adam Carolla in just a few moments to discuss his new movie as a new documentary out called The 24-Hour War. I've watched um, most of it. It is really, really good, uh, really fascinating and about um, the American auto industry and about uh, car racing in general. We'll talk to Adam in just a second. But first, we have to say hello to our friends over at Legacy Box. So this is an advertiser I feel very strongly about. It's LegacyBox.com slash Ben. The way Legacy Box works is they allow you to keep all of your memories by basically you send in all your old films, we're talking reels, we're talking VHS videos, and they convert all of this stuff to a digital file. They put it on a, a CD or they put it on a or they put it on a thumb drive for you so you can keep this stuff forever. It's legacybox.com slash Ben. You get a 40% discount on your order. So old photos, cassettes, home videos. My parents are doing this right now. They're gathering up all of my dad's old film reels, uh, his dad's old film reels. So these are 50, 60 years old in Legacy Box. They stamp them all with a with a um, they put a sticker on there with a barcode so you can actually see where in the process all of your film is. Uh, they have experts who go through it and make sure that it still works, make sure that it's all in order. Uh, and I'm, I'm very big on preserving memories of the past because I think that you lose the past, you lose your family history. That's a real tragedy. There's a reason why when everybody says there's a fire, you grab your photo album. There's a reason why that they do that, and, and right now this allows you, instead of have 20 boxes full of stuff you'll never look at in your garage, now you have it all on a convenient thumb drive or a DVD so you can actually enjoy it and take part in it. Legacybox.com slash Ben. That's a 40% discount on your order. It can be really, really expensive if you do this just on your own. Legacybox makes it really easy and really convenient. Legacybox.com slash Ben to get that 40% discount on your order. Okay, so joining us on the line is, uh, oh, actually, sorry, he'll, he'll be joining us shortly. So we'll get to that in just a second. First, we'll jump right into the news. So the big news of the day yesterday was that Mittens McRomney met with Donald Trump, and I do love how this went down. So basically, they met, and here's a picture of that. Well, first of all, I just need to set the stage. 
Here's what Mitt Romney said about Donald Trump during the campaign, if you recall. If we make improvident choices, the bright horizon I've described will not materialize. And let me put it very plainly. If we Republicans choose Donald Trump as our nominee, the prospects for a safe and prosperous future are greatly diminished. If Donald Trump's plans were ever implemented, the country would sink into prolonged recession. A few examples. His proposed 35% tariff-like penalties would instigate a trade war, and that would raise prices for consumers, kill our export jobs, and lead on to... A phony, too, right? He says that Trump is a phony, he's a con man, he's a liar, basically. I mean, this is a pretty brutal speech, if you recall. This is in March during the primaries. And, uh, and so, you know, bottom line is that Romney was not very friendly to Trump. And uh, now they get together for dinner, and here's the picture of them at dinner. And it's just <laughs> astonishingly good. Oh, it's just wonderful. I love it so much. Okay, I will say that this, this presidency thus far has been wildly entertaining. The picture of Trump with Obama was great enough. This picture, just the way that it's lit, and the expressions on their face, so spectacular. For folks who are going to be listening to this later, look at Romney's face. Romney's like, oh, my God. What happened to me, right? This is the typical, this is, the, this, is, this is like the photo, freeze frame. How did I get here? Well, let me explain from the beginning. And then you rewind it six months. It, it's, it's, it's incredible. So there's his face. Go back to the first picture for a second. Uh, the first picture of Trump sitting there, and he's lit from the bottom, like you're in a campfire, and they're, and they're doing like, a, you're going to tell a horror story. And he's lit from below, and his face is red. It's like, it looks like Mitt Romney just signed away his soul in a really bad business deal to Donald Trump. And Trump's sitting there grinning like Satan, like the Cheshire Cat. It's just spectacular in every way. I love it so much. Just the, the fact that Romney keeps going there and going there just to like get slapped around. And people were getting very funny about this. Like, the, the, for example... Look at, look at, this is the Trump-Romney dinner, and the first thing that popped into my head is, of course, from The Little Mermaid. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that was the first thing that popped into my head when I saw that picture, because that's exactly what it looks like. Uh, the other one that popped into my head, of course, was, uh, was from uh, Silence of the Lambs. Uh, so, <laughs> just horrifying, <laughs> just Romney being fed his own brain by Donald Trump. Uh, the best one, though, was this was this tweet uh, that somebody had. They put it in black and white, this picture. And in black and white, it's even better. It says, I made the Trump-Romney photo black and white, and it looks like a Twilight Zone episode where a guy just made a foolish deal with the devil. And that, of course, is exactly right. It's so spectacular. Oh, my goodness. So good. Uh, the one that's making the rounds a lot is this one. <laughs> Uh, it's great. Somebody photoshopped Trump and Romney into the dinner scene from uh, from Empire Strikes Back, where Han Solo walks into the room and realizes that Lando has sold him out, and Darth Vader is sitting at the other end of the long table. <laughs> uh, <coughs> and it is it is pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing. It is also worth noting, by the way, that remember when Donald Trump ran as a blue collar working class hero? You remember that? And now he's worth like he's ten worth ten billion dollars. Mitt Romney's a hundred millionaire. And um, here's what their menu was the other night. This is, the, this is the menu. At, at, it's a three-star Michelin-rated restaurant uh, called, um, what, what's this stupid? It's called Jean Georges. Jean Georges is what it's called. Jean Georges, as I like to call it. And here was the actual menu. Quote, the appetizer was young garlic soup with thyme and sautéed frog legs. Next, they had diverse scallops with caramelized cauliflower and a caper raisin emulsion. For their main course, both Priebus and the president-elect had prime sirloin with citrus glaze and carrots. Romney had lamb chops with the mushroom bolognese sauce. All three had chocolate cake for dessert. Sounds like men of the people to me. 
No corrupt bargains happening among the people who are eating frog legs. Although I have to say, poor Pepe. Poor Pepe. I mean, they, they, they ran this entire campaign, and Pepe was with Trump the entire way, and then Trump just ate him. And somewhere, the alt-right cries and tears of, of sorrow roll down Pepe's cheeks. It, it is all very, very tragic. Uh, then Mitt Romney came out afterward, and he made this statement after the dinner, and he just looks... I mean, Trump and his people had asked for basically an apology from Mitt Romney, and Romney clearly wants the gig, and so now he's apologizing. Pretty amazing. These discussions I've had with him have been uh, enlightening and interesting and, uh, and engaging. I've enjoyed them very, very much. Uh, I, uh, I was also very impressed by the remarks he made on his victory night. Uh, by the way, it's not easy when I know that myself. Uh, he did something I tried to do and was unsuccessful in accomplishing. He won the general election. And, uh, and he continues uh, with a, a message of inclusion and bringing people together. Uh, and his vision is something which obviously connected with the American people in a very powerful way. It's a joke, right? It's a joke. I mean, Romney is, is looking for an excuse to, to jump back on the Trump train here. And he's finding it in, you know, his, his speech and his cabinet. And Romney still thinks of Trump exactly what Romney always thought of Trump. There are two ways to read Romney's behavior here. One is Romney really, 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 really wants back into power. That's the cynical way to read this. The other way to read this is that Romney believes and thinks that Trump could use some staid, steady, sober judgment around him. And so he's willing to undergo the humiliation of dealing with Trump and maybe being thrown under the bus by Trump in order to do it. And Again, Trump hasn't selected him yet for Secretary of State, so this could all go wildly wrong, right? There are only two possible ways this plays out as far as, as, far as Romney is concerned in terms of public image. These are both from Game of Thrones. The, the way number one this turns out for Romney, just in terms of how this plays out politically, is, uh, is, this, is this right here. What is to be done with this traitor, Your Grace? So long as I am your king, treason shall never go unpunished. Like that. That's 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 possible. That he goes out, and he makes his his obeisance to to Trump, and then Trump beheads him and picks Rudy Giuliani, which would be hilarious. I will say it would be really really funny. Uh, the other way that this could go is uh, is that Trump actually gives him what he wants, but that involves him you know being a little bit humiliated. Go on, Reef. A nice close shave. <laughs> It could go reek, right? It could be reek. In reality, the truth is, a lot of this stuff is overplayed. Trump likes to, to play reality TV. It is reality TV. It's very entertaining, I will admit that. And I have all of my Bachelorette outtakes for when he actually makes this call, because the Bachelorette outtakes will fit Giuliani or Romney. One of the two will be sobbing in a car about how they were so deeply in love, and then they were left at the altar. Um, but... In reality, is, the, is Trump playing this right? Trump is playing this about as well as he could have played this, really. I mean, he's making Romney look foolish. Uh, he's making Romney look like he has to bend the knee to him. And then, if he actually picks Romney, it's a brilliant move politically because it looks like he's getting over his own pettiness about Romney in order to stock his cabinet with people who are good. And if he doesn't pick Romney, well, then he's done what a lot of people expected him to do on his own side, you know, in his own base, and he stomped Romney in the face. And, and he's going to get a lot of credit for that from his own base. So he's in a no-lose situation. Uh, I'm, Romney played along, I, I assume, out of patriotism and a sense of duty, um, but it could have also been out of ego. Both are possible. Um, but it is fascinating to watch. Uh, this sort of stuff typically is not done in front of the cameras, and yet Trump is doing it all in front of the cameras, which is going to make for a very, very entertaining, uh, very entertaining four years. I mean, meanwhile, Trump is being given a lot of credit 
for this uh, for Carrier keeping a bunch of jobs. So Carrier is an air conditioner manufacturer, and uh, they just they just announced they're going to keep a thousand jobs in Indiana. And I want to talk about this in a pretty serious way because I think that a lot of people are ignoring the real story here, uh, and that's a problem. So. A lot of people are immediately celebrating the fact that Trump kept jobs in America. That's great. Okay, that's 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 wonderful, except for that's not the actual story. Lots of people can use the government to keep jobs in a particular place. Barack Obama used the power of government, the threat of the pitchforks and torches, to leverage the banks to do things that he wanted. Barack Obama was able to make the auto companies come on bended knee to him in order so that he could get them to do what he wanted by threatening them. The bottom line here is not the thousand jobs saved. The bottom line is what we still don't know, which is what did Trump do to get carrier to keep its jobs there. So a lot of people are saying we shouldn't even ask the question. We should just sort of accept what it is. We should just sort of take it how it is. No big problem. No big issue. You know, at least he kept the jobs here. That in and of itself is wonderful. And that would be okay, except for the fact that how you use the government is really the issue for me, not necessarily the outcome. You can always keep a company here. Listen, if I were in charge of the federal government, pick a company in America. I could keep it here just by paying them a lot of money. I could bribe a company to stay here, or alternatively, I could threaten that company in order to make them stay here, right? The power of the presidency is vast. The power of the federal government is vast. The question is, what did Trump do in order to ensure the carrier would stay? So here's what we know. We don't know anything, really, because Trump has not announced what the deal was. Mike Pence is the governor of Indiana. He's the one really offering the incentives because he's still governor of Indiana. Carrier is located in Indiana. So we still have to figure out exactly what Pence offered, and this does make a difference. Here's what we know, or or at least the, the little that we do know. According to the New York Times, United Technologies, which is the owner of Carrier, is among the country's biggest military contractors, producing engines for the Pentagon's most advanced fighter jets, receiving more than $5 billion annually from the federal government. That equals 10% of the company's revenue. So there's the idea that perhaps Trump said, we'll have the Defense Department cut our contracts to you if you move those jobs. Okay, that's bad. That's bad. That's the, co- that's the government leveraging businesses into making bad business decisions through threat. Right? Not getting the best deal for the American people because presumably the reason that they're contracting with United Technologies is because United Technologies provides the best service at the best price. Here's what we know courtesy of CNBC. Quote, while terms of the deal are not yet clear, the sources indicated there were new incentives on offer from the state of Indiana, where Pence is governor, that helped clear a path for the agreement. While while United Technology was seeking the savings that would come from moving some production to Mexico, people familiar with the situation indicated the savings were not worth incurring the wrath of the incoming administration, including the potential threat to the significant business United Technologies currently conducts with the U.S. government, largely in the form of orders for jet engines and other defense-related equipment. So it's the federal government leveraging people. Now, I don't like the federal government leveraging people, whether the person at the head of the federal government is a Republican or a Democrat. That is not the job of the federal government. The job of the federal government is to preserve your rights. And if it has contracts that it needs to do, then it should contract with the best available operator, not the operator that makes bad financial decisions in order to please the federal government. Right? That's a backdoor form of bribery from United Technologies. And by the way, this also sets up a pretty bad precedent. A company says, we're going to move 2,000 jobs to Mexico, and then they wait for Trump to come in with an oodle of cash and just dump it on them. Okay, this is not... Uh, th- this is not particularly a rip on Trump. It's a, it's a rip on the policies that are bad. I don't have a, look. Trump made a promise, and Trump is trying to keep that promise. But the way you keep the promise matters to me. The principle doesn't change just because the name of the guy in power changes. And I understand everybody's going to celebrate the thousand jobs, but these kinds of headlines routinely, routinely come out from administrations ranging from Barack Obama's to Hugo Chavez's. 
The question isn't whether Carrier keeps the 1,000 jobs in Indiana. The question is why they kept the 1,000 jobs in Indiana. If Carrier kept the 1,000 jobs in Indiana, if they kept the 1,000 jobs in Indiana because Donald Trump was pursuing positive economic policies that benefit everyone, and they say in expectation of lower taxes and in expectation of loosened regulations, we've decided that we're going to keep the jobs here, wonderful. All credit to Trump. If they say we're keeping the 1,000 jobs here because Donald Trump bribed us or because Donald Trump threatened us, that's not something that I'm cool with. And as a conservative, you shouldn't be cool with that either because that's just using government to pick winners and losers. And as I am fond of saying, I'm old enough to remember when we thought that was bad, when Obama did it with green jobs and stimulus packages and auto bailouts and bank threats. Again, Barack Obama actually used the threat of pitchforks and torches. He actually said he brought bankers to the White House in the early part of his administration. He said, my administration is the only thing between you and the pitchforks, and then he leveraged them into doing what he wanted. He did the same thing to the health insurance companies. He said to them, listen, I'm going to offer a public option if you don't cave to me and give me what I want. That was bad. It wouldn't be any better if Trump did it. Hey, Hugo Chavez used to do this. Hugo Chavez actually had a show, the Venezuelan socialist dictator. He actually had a show in Venezuela and it was called Hello, President. That was the name of the show. It was a full-day show. He would literally go on camera at, like, 8 in the morning on Sundays all the way to, like, 6 in the evenings. And the producer of the show would explain this way. He said, the president decides everything. It's his show. It was called Hello, President because people would call in, but it became like the lottery. Everyone looking to get a job, a house or something. Chavez would literally give jobs to people on the air. People would call in and say, I don't have a job. Chavez would say, I'll give you a job. Look at my magnificence. The only way he could give a job, of course, was to take a job away from somebody else or to take money away from somebody else. You know, this, is, this is the definition of the swamp. Okay, When people talk about the swamp needs to be drained and crony capitalism, this is the definition of it, and it doesn't become good just because our guys are doing it. So before we get too excited about the carrier decides to keep 1,000 jobs in the United States headline, let's find out how it was done. If the headline said, Solyndra decides to keep 1,000 jobs in the United States thanks to Obama promises, we'd all be saying, wait a second, that's bribery. You can't do that. Again, consistency in principle. I know people get upset with consistency in principle. I know people get very upset with the idea that we're going to hold everybody to the same standard or that we're going to mandate that Donald Trump actually act in accordance with conservatism. But the fact is that if we don't hold him accountable for his sins, then who are we going to hold him accountable to? Like, who's going to be accountable? The way that you hold presidents accountable is making them accountable for their behavior. So I hope that Trump reveals his plan, and his plan is get rid of regulations, get rid of taxation, lower the corporate tax rate. That's why Carrier kept the jobs. If that happens, I will celebrate louder and longer than anyone, because that will be excellent Trump. Not good Trump, excellent Trump. But if this was just another crony capitalist payoff to Carrier so that he could have his headline in his moment in the sun where he said that he kept Carrier there with its thousand jobs, that's a bunch of crap. And it's crap whether a Democrat does it, and it's crap whether there's a Republican that does it. Okay, this, These things do not change just because the name at the top of the ticket changes, the name in the White House changes. The minute you sacrifice principle for political convenience, the principle no longer matters. It no longer matters. So before you celebrate headlines, let's look for the actual content of the story. Right? For example, I'm willing to give Trump the benefit of the doubt right now on is he going to separate from his business. He's going to have to fill that out with content. If the content is, my kids will run the business and they'll also advise me in the White House, the conflict still exists. If he separates off and his kids run the business and they have nothing to do with the White House, good for him. I'll be cheering because I want his presidency to be a success. I want him to govern like Ronald Reagan. I would love to see it. I would love to be wrong about him. I would. But we have to call out bad things when we see them, and we can't just say that they're good if they're not. Right? We actually have to see evidence of good. We just have to see evidence of good. That's all. And this whole idea, you know, Steve Bannon has said this, we're going to create a 50-year dominance 
based on big government spending and Obama stimulus packages. It was bad when Obama did it. It's bad when Trump does it. I don't need to beat a dead horse here. Okay. Now, as far as the, the sort of drain the swamp language, as far as the drain the swamp language, remember, everybody's chanting drain the swamp, drain the swamp. Let's go through some of the picks that Trump has made. We're still waiting on Secretary of State. Uh, the people who are currently up for it, I guess Bolton has fallen out of contention are the latest reports, which is too bad. He was my number one choice. I think Bolton knows the State Department, knows that place has to be absolutely gutted, and knows how foreign policy works, but he's fallen out for some reason, probably because he and Trump don't agree on foreign policy. That's actually one of the more bizarre aspects of the Romney thing, is that no one has actually said that Romney shouldn't be Secretary of State because he and Trump disagree on foreign policy. And they do, right? Romney was super anti-Russian. Trump was very, very pro-Russian during the campaign. They really disagree on this stuff. The only real criticism has been that Romney ripped Trump during the primaries. But in any case, I guess it's down to like Corker and Romney and Giuliani. Uh, Those are the ones, and Petraeus are the ones that they're discussing. Uh, All big names uh, of the people who are left, Romney and Petraeus would probably be at the top of my list. Probably Romney at the top of the list, then Petraeus, then Giuliani, and then Corker. Corker would be the worst of all of them. Uh, if he's picked, I'll explain why. Um, but uh, some of the other picks that Trump has made, these are pretty typical establishment Republican picks. He actually just picked a bunch of Democrats. Uh, he actually just picked a bunch of Democrats to staff out his administration. It isn't quite draining the swamp. And we'll explain all of those things. If you go to dailywire.com right now and subscribe, there's plenty more to come here on the show. I've got to talk about the persecution of Christians that is being attempted by the left media, which is really insane. They're attacking now uh, the Gaines family, the, these home builders on TV. We'll talk about that. I have a lot to say about that. And uh, we have some pretty awesome things I hate coming up, plus some Bible talks. So lots coming up here on the Ben Shapiro Show. Go to dailywire.com to subscribe. Eight bucks a month gets you a subscription. Annual subscription gets you a free copy of my novel signed. Uh, Plus, there are lots of goodies coming up. Tomorrow's the mailbag. You get to be part of the mailbag if you're a subscriber. And uh, you get to be part of the largest podcast, the largest conservative podcast in the United States. Okay, so here are the new the, the new people that Trump is picking. And these are not drain the swamp picks. They're not. Okay? Like I'm just sorry to break it to folks, but I cannot tell a lie. And these these are not drain the swamp picks. Okay, he's picked Steve Mnuchin for Treasury Secretary. Mnuchin used to run a firm for George Soros, right? The the ultra left, you know, quasi left fascist George Soros. He, he used to run a financial firm for him. He's a lifelong Democrat. Uh, he's given lots of money to Democrats. Uh, he oversaw a company involved in some pretty shady foreclosure practices. Here, why did Mnuchin back Trump during this campaign? Quote, because nobody's going to be like, well, why did he do this if I end up in the administration? That was his direct quote, Steve Mnuchin. He was a Goldman Sachs partner. Right? So I'm, I'm, uh, I remember when Ted Cruz's wife working at Goldman Sachs was enough for Trump to say, they're in bed with Wall Street. Look at that. It's cronyism and corrupt. Yeah. Okay. Now he's got an actual Goldman Sachs partner as Secretary of the Treasury. He's also selected a Democrat named Wilbur Ross for, for Secretary of Commerce. Uh, he is a Democrat. He's a billionaire investor. He helped, rebu- he helped Trump rebuild his failing casino empire in the 90s. Uh, he opposes free trade. He was on the New York Democratic Committee. He funded Bill Clinton. So that's not a drain the swamp pick. Here's another one that's not a drain the swamp pick. He's considering the Goldman Sachs COO, chief operating officer, for head of management of, at the Office of Management and Budget. Right, his name is Gary Cohn. He's a registered Democrat. He's given money to a bunch of Democrats, a lot of money to the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. Trump wants him for OMB. I don't understand why he doesn't just... Honestly, the federal government should just buy, actually, Goldman Sachs and make it part of the administration, apparently. you got Bannon, who's Goldman Sachs. You've got Mnuchin, who's Goldman Sachs. you got Gary Cohn, who's Goldman Sachs. 
A lot of Goldman Sachs happening there. Goldman Sachs has a very strong relationship historically with the Federal Treasury Department because whenever the Fed wants to, whenever the Treasury Department wants to inflate the currency, they play this game where they buy dollars back. If they want, if they want to deflate the currency, they buy dollars back from Goldman Sachs, and if they want to inflate the currency, then Goldman Sachs buys dollars from from the Treasury. Like they have this very very tight relationship. Uh, Other picks: Mitch McConnell's wife for Secretary of Transportation. Not exactly a drain-the-swamp pick. The purpose here is that if the Secretary of Transportation is the Senate Majority Leader's wife, you can ram through a $1 trillion spending package with no real problem. Because, after all, his wife is going to administer it. None of this really speaks well of the the drain-the-swamp notion from Donald Trump. we got to keep an eye on it. We're going to keep an eye on it. Just because Trump won does not make him immune to actual critiques, okay? And these critiques are very important. Now, that's not to say that the left has it right. The left is continuing to screw this thing up in a pretty radical way, and it is hilarious to watch. Barack Obama said the reason that the Democrats lost is because Fox News is on in every bar and restaurant, which demonstrates that Barack Obama has not been to a bar or restaurant in years. Uh, I mean, seriously, bars and restaurants have ESPN on. Some of them have CNN on. Very few have Fox News on. It's not every airport in the United States has CNN on the TVs, but Obama thinks that it's just the media corruption. Amazing how Barack Obama, who was, whose butt was licked by the media for eight years, thinks that it was the media's fault that Hillary Clinton lost and Donald Trump won. No, it was really Barack Obama's fault and Hillary Clinton's fault. But the Democrats continue to just dig their own grave here. Instead of, instead of honestly critiquing Trump, they have to go out of their way to say ridiculous things. So here's Bernie Sanders, uh, old socialist Bernie Sanders, let me tell you about why Donald Trump is crazy, even though I live in a hut in the middle of the forest— and I think that all socialist countries are great, and that's why I have three houses. Bernie Sanders, go. Millions of people who voted illegally. What's your take on him saying I'll that? I'll tell you what my take is. First of all, it's delusional. Yeah. It's totally insane. <laughs> uh, nobody believes that who studies elections or election patterns. But number two, this is what is scary about it. When he says that, he's really sending a signal to Republicans all over this country, Republican leaders. And what he's saying is, we have got to suppress the vote. We have got to make it harder for poor people, people of color, uh, immigrants, elderly people to participate because they may be voting against us. Okay, so he, I mean, this is this is paranoid, insane stuff from Bernie Sanders. The Democrats have nothing but paranoid, insane stuff at this point, and it's it's fully ridiculous. They, they do not know how to react to, to Trump's election. So Trump tweeted yesterday, and we talked about it, about flag burning and why that's a, a foolish idea to say that people should have their citizenship revoked for flag burning. Leftist protesters took the bait, and then they actually went out and started burning flags. Okay, this is the stupidest thing you could do. Trump's entire pitch here is that flag burning is bad and therefore should be illegal. And to demonstrate that he's wrong, you go out and burn flags and piss everybody off? Nobody likes the image of the burning flag. doesn't matter. The protesters are out burning flags. He wants to make it a crime and lock people up for burning the American flag. The symbol of oppression, the symbol of slavery and genocide. The American flag stands for plunder. It stands for death squads in Guatemala. It stands for police murder of black and brown people. This flag stands for genocide of native people and the assault on Standing Rock. This flag deserves to burn. America was never great. We, the mighty, mighty Republicans, members of the RNC 16, we burn this flag. I love the left. I love the left because they can't stop themselves. It's like they deliberately have to take an ice pick and shove it directly in their own eye. It's amazing. Right? You watch these people? 
do I think these people should be arrested? No. Do I think that these people should have their citizenship revoked? No. But on a gut level, pretty much every American looks at this and says, well, well, hmm. <laughs> you know, that's, like there's no way to watch these idiots and not think, my goodness, like this, this is pretty horrible. They're, they're actually playing right into Trump's hands because Americans are going to get more ticked at this than the idea that Trump said something about locking people up, right? That's, that's just the, the nature of the beast. Trump tweets something, you burn an American flag, we're going to hate you more for burning the American flag than for whatever silly thing Donald Trump tweeted. The left cannot help themselves, they are idiots. Same thing Same kind of extremism with regard to race. Tucker Carlson, who's got the new show, plays Brit Hume on Fox News, he had a talk show host named Tariq Nasheed over, over the Ohio State University terrorist attack. The, the terrorist was shot by a white cop. Tariq Nasheed thought that that was just terrible because it was a white cop shooting somebody of color and... Again, the case that the left is making here, this is not a strong case. You want to lose elections? Keep doing this kind of thing. Wouldn't it have been better if this guy, the murderer, had continued to hack people with a butcher knife? Is that what you're saying? What are you saying? No, I'm saying, Tucker, what's cowardly is to make up a false narrative that I didn't say or even imply by saying that I was not impressed or I was dissatisfied with the police's work. And basically, that tweet was very vague. It was very neutral. It was basically a statement. It wasn't even my opinion. So for you well, to start okay, off the uh, segment I, saying I that it was well, cowardly, that's, look, I'm that's disingenuous. Look, to explain but, yourself, and I'm just answering the question. Now, let me explain what question. I meant. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, no, I didn't think that the guy was... Um, um, uh, wrong for what he did. The guy was a hero. The the comment wasn't mean to ra- wasn't meant to racialize the actual shooting in the event itself. When that happened <sighs> online, there were a lot of people who played the race card. And the minute they found out who the suspect was, they kept talking about black Somalian, black Somalian. Then they okay. started. Talk- okay, this guy's an idiot. So for for people who can't see the tweet, the tweet says: So white officer Alan Horijku, who shot and killed the black Somali stabbing suspect in Ohio, is being paraded as a hero. That's interesting. And now he's on national TV saying he wasn't racializing it, right? I mean, these people keep making asinine arguments about race and about why it's okay and great to burn the American flag. And then they're shocked when they're losing elections. And that's not just, you know, these fringy characters. Chuck Schumer is now trying to claim that Donald Trump is is going to engage in some sort of war on seniors. Does anyone believe this sort of nonsense? Between this nomination of an avowed Medicare opponent and Republicans here in Washington threatening to privatize Medicare, it's clear that Washington Republicans are plotting a war on seniors next year. And really think that Trump is plotting a war on seniors? Trump is a senior. Does anyone think that he's going to get all of his friends to give up their Medicare? Donald Trump is the only Republican candidate who spent the entire campaign saying he wouldn't touch entitlements. You think that if this is the best the Democrats can do, they're toast. And the problem is the Democrats are stuck in their own way. They can't get out of their own way. Tim Ryan, who's an Ohio congressperson whose district went for Trump, he's a Democrat. He ran for the speakership, the, 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 the minority leader position for the Democrats today. Uh, and, and the case that he was making was basically we're going to need to win some purple areas if we hope to have a non-regional party again. That's the case that he was making with, uh, with Wolf Blitzer. He was running against Nancy Pelosi. Here was the case he made. Yeah, you really seriously think you have a shot at beating Nancy Pelosi tomorrow? Yeah, I think we're we're within striking distance. I can tell you that for sure. And you know, there's a lot of uh, members still out there who haven't committed or being very very quiet. Uh, and they you know can break either way uh, coming into the last 24 hours and the votes tomorrow morning. So I feel really really good about the campaign we've run. I think we've been very clear. I think we've been very respectful of Leader Pelosi. Um, but we do need change, and I've I've not relented on that at all. 
Okay, and he got shellacked. So the Democrats doubled down on Nancy Pelosi's craziness. Nancy Pelosi said, why would we even have somebody who's the, the, the minority leader who's in a district that Trump won? The answer to that is because you need Congress people in districts that Trump won if you ever want to win again. But the Democrats are so bogged down in their own hatred for most of America. And we'll get to that in a second. They're so bogged down in their own hatred. They really hate typical Americans that they don't know what to do about it. They're so in their own bubble that they say, OK, Nancy Pelosi's still our person. We're still going to stick around with Nancy Pelosi, as though that makes any sense. As though, as though that I mean, again, right now. Just to, the average age of, of congressional leadership for Republicans is 47 years old. The average age for Democratic leadership in the Congress is 76 years old. And they just reelected Nancy Pelosi, whose dentures are floating around somewhere in the back of her head right now. It's, it's fully insane. And it is wonderful to watch the left fail to, to take advantage of the fact that Donald Trump is president by continuing to be as insane as they are. Okay, so we have some epic things I like, things I hate, and, uh, and Bible today. So we're going to get to that. So things I like. Uh, Adam Carolla couldn't make the show, obviously, so we're going to try and reschedule him. Uh, things I like. Uh, I wanted to point this out because talking about how the left really despises what America is, uh, there's a book called Babbitt by Sinclair Lewis. And um, this book is sort of the, the first major piece of fiction that ripped the American middle class. The idea was there's the, 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 it became a, the, the term Babbitt became a phrase for the empty white guy who lives in the suburbs but has an unhappy life and has never had a deep thought and just goes and, and makes money but is really miserable on the inside. And this is how the left in major cities views all the people who actually work for a living. Right? They're all Babbitts. They're all idiots. Uh, they're all, they're all, they lead sad, empty lives. Uh, and because of that, they need meaning brought to them by government. They need meaning brought to them by the left. They need the left to lecture them about art, and they need the left to lecture them about morality, and they need the left to rip them out of their complacency about how things about how things actually work. And it's so foolish. It's so insane. I mean, the the, the left. It's it's a very well written book, and it's a good piece of propaganda. But the left's hatred for kind of the everyday man, the, the left's hatred for suburbia, has lost them the entire middle of the country. And there's this fantastic parody video. I don't know who, who made us aware of this. this. This video, this parody video is spectacular, among other things I like. Uh, it's a parody video of, I guess it's a Justin Bieber song called Sorry. Um, and this, this parody video is so wonderful because it, it demonstrates in full color how leftists think, right? I mean, I don't know who these guys are. They're brilliant satirists, I have to say. I mean, they're they're just wonderful at parody. Uh, And they parody what the left is thinking after Donald Trump is elected. Hey, babe, I know that you're hurting. I know that you gotta be. I know I gotta act now. I'm so done with complacency. I wanna show I'm an ally, you know I'm a he for she So just tell us what to do, and we'll do it I wanna help with the cost of your shiny new IUD I walk you to work every day cause you know that you're saving me If you need an abortion, I'll go along with you, then make your tea Cause I'm yearning to support you like Obamacare <laughs> Yeah is it too late now to say sorry? Cause we don't want control in our body. Is it too late now to say sorry? Yeah, I know that we let you down. Is it too late to go phone bank now? <laughs> These people are geniuses. I don't know who they are. I you a cake for your wedding. In fact, I just baked you for. 
I'll marry your mom so she won't get deported to Ecuador. Uh. Here, take my job. You can have equal pay, then I'll pay you more. I really don't need to hear white guys singing right now. Wow, I didn't think of that. Sorry. It's just like one more chorus. And we should have done more for Hillary. It's too soon to say her name. Sorry. Yeah, we know America's let you down. Let's go stand up for what we're doing. This thing is, I don't know who these people are. These people are geniuses. I mean, they are, this is the, this is the smart. This is the it, it's one of the best parodies I've ever seen. It's an incredible parody. I mean, really, I don't know. These, it, what's amazing is there are some people on YouTube. I don't know who these people are who, who think that this is real. Who think like it's really funny. They think the, they think these guys actually made this video because they 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 hate Trump and they actually are saying sorry to all these people. No one no one on the left could possibly be that stupid. I mean, these these like really the reason the parody works is because no one on the left could possibly be this dumb, right? I mean, I assume. But it's a, it's a, it's a parody. The parody is great. So you can go check it out. We put it up at dailywire.com. Amazing parody. I want to have these guys on. Is there a way that we can book these guys to talk about the production of this parody? We need to book them and, and really compliment them. I, it's just it's amazing. Good for them. All right. Time for some things that I hate. All righty. So. So many things I hate today. Yay. Okay, so we begin with we begin with uh, Cosmo and BuzzFeed have decided they have their new crusade. Their new crusade is Chip and Joanna Gaines. Does anybody know who these people I don't watch Chip and Joanna Gaines. Do you guys watch Fixer Chip Upper. Uh, Fixer Upper? Okay, so my wife, I'm sure, watches this show, right? This is, this is the people who find houses and they fix them up. And this the show is really, really popular. And they're very, very upset over at Cosmo because Chip and Joanna Gaines' pastor preaches that homosexuality is a sin. And then the subtitle, but do they agree? And the, the entire article is just about how terrible it is that they go to a church where the pastor thinks homosexuality is a sin. BuzzFeed had this mind-blowing scoop, a mind-blowing scoop. Their church, Antioch Community, uh, Community Church, is a non-denominational, evangelical, mission-based megachurch. And their pastor, Jimmy Seabird, who described the Gaineses as dear friends, takes a hard line against same-sex marriage and promotes converting LGBT people into being straight. When reached by phone, Antioch Community Church's communications director pointed me toward, toward the church's website under Beliefs, where it states, Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. So the media are going nuts. Oh, my God. These Christians go to a church where they actually read the Bible. That's crazy. That's totally nuts. Now, for people who are unfamiliar with this little book called the Bible, the little book called the Bible, it's not actually that warm toward homosexuality. Like, the pastor is doing something called reading. And in the Bible... It says that not homosexuality is a sin, but homo, uh, homosexual activity is a sin, to be, more, to be more precise, because the Bible itself doesn't say anything about desire. It says stuff about behavior, right? So Leviticus, twice, condemns homosexual behavior. It says, you shall not lie with a male, as with a woman, it is an abomination, Leviticus 18.22. It does something very similar in Leviticus 20.13. It actually prescribes the death penalty, right? In the New Testament, it says in Romans, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural one. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. In Corinthians, same deal. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
Timothy says the same thing. The law is for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, etc., etc. By the way, that's not even touching the traditional biblical interpretations of the events in Sodom and Gomorrah. So the headline on all of this really should be, oh my God, somebody goes to a church where the pastors read the Bible. That should be the actual headline here. Now, the reason that this is so stupid, the reason this is so stupid is there's no evidence whatsoever that the Gaines family has ever discriminated against a gay person. There's no evidence whatsoever that they mistreat gay people. There's no evidence whatsoever that they are even interested in doing any of those things. But for the left, the thought crime has been committed. If you believe in the Bible, that in and of itself is a thought crime. This is why same-sex marriage is used as a club to beat up churches. The same people who think you shouldn't be able to go to a church where people believe that homosexual activity is a sin, those people believe the state should come in and shut down the churches because the churches are preaching intolerance and hate. That's the, that's the end result of all of this. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm a religious Jew. I believe in the Old Testament, right? I believe in the Pentateuch. I believe in the Chumash, as we call it, or the Torah. Right? I believe in the five books of Moses. That means that I personally believe that homosexual activity is a sin. Here's the beautiful thing about America. You don't have to care. You don't have to care what I think. You don't have to care whether I think it's a sin. What do you care? I think eating shellfish is a sin for Jews. I think lots of things are sins. The Bible is filled with sins. The Bible is filled with sins, and I take those sins seriously because I'm a religious Jew. You don't have to care. You don't believe in the Bible? Fine. Good. I don't care. That's fine. You can think I'm an idiot. I can think you're a sinner, and we can all live happily together. But the minute that you start saying that my beliefs, based on a godly book in my view, that that makes me incapable of having a show about fixing up houses, now you're a fascist. Now you're being a fascist. And the left is being fascistic. This is being fascistic. I mean, this is religious thought crime. They're not, but they haven't even asked the gains whether they even agree with the pastor. And you'll notice the hypocrisy here, right? Barack Obama went to a church for 20 years, 20 years, where the pastor didn't just preach about homosexual activity. The pastor said, America should be damned. 9-11 was the chickens coming home to roost and that America created AIDS to kill black people in Africa. Right? Obama went to that church for 20 years and then wrote his book, The Audacity of Hope, based on a lecture by that pastor. And the media said, whoa, whoa, whoa. How dare you attribute Jeremiah Wright's views to our beautiful, wonderful president, Barack Obama? How could you do such a thing? Religion is okay for the left so long as you ascribe to their belief system. But religion is very bad if you don't ascribe to their belief system. By the way, you'll never see anything similar like this if there's a Muslim person in public life, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and he's a religious Muslim. You'll never see them ask Kareem abdul So, Kareem, what do you think about homosexual activity? Is it a sin or not? They'll never ask a Muslim about this, right? They'll only do it with Christians because they must root out Christianity because Christianity makes them feel bad about themselves. And this is what it really comes down to. You don't, I don't have a duty to make you feel good about yourself. I don't have a duty to make you feel like a non-sinner if I think that you're committing a sin. I don't. That's not my duty. But you think the government has a duty to make me stop making you feel like a sinner. That's what people on the left believe. They believe that the government or the, or the market, somebody has a duty to make me stop making you feel bad. Right? The only reason you're feeling bad right now is presumably because you take my opinion seriously. Well, if you don't take my opinion seriously, don't take it seriously. Who cares? Again, people on the left say terrible things about me all the time. People on the alt-right say terrible things about me all the time. I don't care. That's their prerogative. Welcome to America. But the left has to drum out of existence all possible dissent. And that's really disgusting. And that's really fascistic. It's really gross. So shame on BuzzFeed. Shame on Cosmo. Honest to, honest to goodness, people. I mean, there are a lot of people who believe in the Bible. And you want to know why Donald Trump won, really? The reason Donald Trump won is because the more you bully people who believe in the Bible 
into saying they're bad people who shouldn't be allowed to raise their kids as they see fit. They shouldn't be allowed to have TV shows. They shouldn't be allowed to have restaurants. They shouldn't be allowed to operate their businesses. They shouldn't be allowed to raise their children. The more people are going to tell y'all to go screw yourselves. And I'm not even, by the way, my position on same-sex marriage governmentally is the government shouldn't even be involved in the issue. But this pisses me off. It does, because you're saying that you get to rule me, you get to take away my career because of something I think that doesn't even manifest in behavior. It doesn't even manifest in me mistreating people. And that's absurd. That's thought crime. Okay, other things that I hate. So there's this video going around of this guy who's a, who's a gender professor, gender studies professor, uh, and, he, uh, and he tries to explain why it is that men can magically become women. It's not correct that there is such a thing as biological sex. And I'm a historian of medicine. I can unpack that for you at great length if you want, but in the interest of time, uh, I won't. So that's uh. a very popular misconception. So essentially, when in my transgender studies classes, what we're doing is looking at actual research and identifying ways that current social issues related to trans people or things that are associated with trans, such as free speech arguments and claims, uh, how that connects to the way that people are thinking, the way that research has been framed, the history is Give us some of the other pronouns that one would hear, typically. Um, I don't focus on pronouns because pronouns are actually part of a cisnormative culture. So what we do is learn about... I'm going to stop you right there. Yes, I was just about to explain. Good. So we don't start from a cisnormative perspective because that can't actually go very far. What does cisnormative mean? So I'm going to start us there. Cisnormative is basically the very popular idea and assumption that most people probably have, and definitely that our structures convey, uh, that there is such a thing as male and female, that they connect to being a girl or a boy or a man or a woman, uh, and then sometimes that will also recognize intersex or trans people or transsexual people, uh, as you mentioned. What? Okay, uh, because... so we're going to have to stop this idiot here. His name is Nicolay Matahe from, from Toronto, uh, University of Toronto. Biological sex exists. My wife's a doctor. I also went to high school. Biological sex exists. Okay, it does. This is silly. What he's saying right now is very, very silly. And when he says pronouns convey, that pronouns convey crazy ideas that people believe, like your structure has something to do with your sex, because it does. You're making up words like gender so that you can avoid the reality, which is that biology dictates your sex. Okay, that's why you're differentiating gender from sex, because, I mean, it, it, it's very odd. You know, the, the same people who push transgenderism are the same people who would deny the existence of a soul. But basically what they're saying is there is a disembodied soul inside you. You're a man in a woman's body. That's impossible. You're not a man in a woman's body. You're a person in a person's body, and the person's body is male or female. End of story. I can have brain structures that differentiate, but the idea that you're a man in a woman's body, no, this isn't Descartes. It's not Cartesian duality. Okay, it's not Descartes. There's not like a male who inhabited your body. It's not like trading spaces with Eddie Murphy. Okay, you can't, or trading places with Eddie Murphy. Like, it, it, that's not how real life works. Freaky Friday isn't actually how, how things work, right? Jamie Lee Curtis doesn't actually switch places with Lindsay Lohan in real life. It can't work that way. Sorry to break it to people, but it's amazing to, to watch people go on national TV and say crazy things like this. Like, biology doesn't exist. Biological sex is a complete construct. No, it isn't. And the language reflects that biological sex exists, and intersex people do exist. That's a genetic component. That's a person in a person's body, and that person has a, a genetic difference from people who are traditionally male or traditionally female in biology. But, I mean, this is like the ascientific the, the nature of this, the pagan ascience of this is so crazy, but everybody takes it seriously, which demonstrates that this is why it's really funny. The same people who will condemn religious people for saying that homosexual 
sex is a sin, that homosexual activity is a sin, the same people will say, that's crazy. How could you believe such religious crazy things? Those people say with a straight face, men and women don't exist. And you say, why? And they say, because I know. They say, well, that's kind of a religious belief, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's sort of a religious belief in something that you can't prove. And it, well, no, it's real. And you're going to believe it too. Or I'm going to use the power of law to crack down on you. It's it just amazing, amazing stuff. Okay, final thing that I hate. So, Barney Frank, who was legitimately one of the worst Congress people in the history of the United States, uh, he was the head of the, uh, of the House Financial uh, Services Committee, uh, and his boyfriend at the time was the fellow who was actually um, in charge of Freddie Mac. So, he was overseeing his boyfriend's work at Freddie Mac while Freddie Mac was handing out loans like candy, subprime loans like candy, helping, leading to, help, helping to lead to the housing crisis. Uh, Barney Frank is, uh, as, a, as my language would convey, he is gay, and Barney Frank is very upset with the legacy of Justice Scalia. They were talking about Scalia and the fact that Scalia didn't want to didn't want to make illegal flag burning. He said the Constitution protected flag burning. Here is uh, Barney Frank just being the petulant little piece of crap that he is. Let's not continue to underestimate this man's shrewd tactical sense. He has a great ability to find out what might really anger people. And he's clearly got problems because uh, he didn't just talk about this. He made this preposterous claim that there was voter fraud. He understands yeah. that, uh, you know, when he starts proposing very controversial things, the fact is that he is by far the most minority president we've ever had in this country. Yeah. It's going to be a problem. So this is, I think, part of a calculated strategy. I do think there may be one kind of problem. It is interesting that he, as you noted, Scalia wrote the opinion, was very strongly on the other side of this, and he, he cited Scalia as his, his favorite justice. I think there was a pronunciation problem there. You know, Scalia was actually the leading advocate of burning, not flag burning. And I think that's where he got himself a little confused. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Okay, let's, let's, uh, um, it's unbelievable. He said, he said burning, not flag burning. He took the L out. Look at that. It's unbelievable. Like, come here, come here. They show your body framing jokes about using words no one else can use because he's gay, but it's funny, isn't it? He even used a word without an L. <laughs> Kathleen. Okay. So, the, the, I mean, this is, this is so, uh, again, it's so disgusting. Justice Scalia, there is no evidence that he wanted to murder gay people. Justice Scalia believed that the Constitution of the United States didn't say anything about the right to homosexual activity, mainly because the Constitution says nothing about the right to homosexual activity. And he was funny that way. He only read things in the Constitution that were there. It was real weird. But this is how the left perceives the world. Anybody who disagrees with them is a bigot. Anybody who disagrees with them is a homophobe. The Gaines are homophobes. Scalia is a homophobe. And then they wonder why we are so alienated that people are willing to vote for anything that isn't Hillary Clinton so long as it moves and has a different name. Right? It's really, really incredible. Okay, time for a little bit of Bible talk, and then uh, I have a couple of corrections to issue. So, Bible talk. This week's Parsha, every week we have uh, the, the Jews, the Juden. We read a, a different portion of the Torah. Uh, and as you may have noticed, I'm fond of it. I like it. So, the, this week's portion is from Genesis. It's the Parsha of Toldot. This is the portion, very controversial portion, where Jacob steals the blessing from Esau, his brother. And, uh, and here's the portion of the Bible at issue. It says, Now Jacob cooked a pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, pour into me some of this red pottage, this is stew, for I'm faint. He was therefore named Edom. Edom means red in, in Hebrew. Uh, and Jacob said, sell me as of this day your birthright. And Esau replied, behold, I'm going to die, so why do I need this birthright? And Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. So people consider this him stealing the birthright. Right? He says he sold the, well, or at least he sold it under duress. Right? He's saying that I'm going to, I'm faint, I'm going to die, I'm, I'm, I can't handle it. 
uh, and I need the stew right this minute or I'm going to die. Okay, he didn't sell it under duress. What this is saying right here, what, what this is saying right here, particularly verse Lamed Bet, this is, this is 32. And what that verse is saying, when Esau says, behold, I'm going to die, so why do I need this birthright? That is actually a, a shout out, you know, thousands of years earlier to the language of John Maynard Keynes. So John Maynard Keynes was a, a famous economist who believed that you could have the government suck up all the income in a society, redistribute it, and use it to grow the economy. And John Maynard Keynes' famous line was, people would say, in the long run, you're going to kill the economy. And, and Keynes would say in response, in the long run, we're all dead. Which is true, right? In the long run, we all are. We, we all die, right? I mean, everybody dies. Sorry to break it to folks. Again, reality. But we all die at some point. And Cain said, we all die. So what, what do you care? In the long run, we're all dead. That's what Esau is saying here. Esau isn't saying, I'm going to die on the spot if you don't give me that stew. What Esau is saying is, well, what does a birthright mean to me? What does a birthright mean to me? I'm going to die someday. The birthright will go to my kids. What do I care? They're kids. I'll be dead. I won't be around to enjoy it. Well, it's like, what difference does a birthright, and the birthright just means that thousands of years from now, you'll be powerful. What, what, why would I possibly care about this? Behold, I'm going to die. The destruction of every civilized society is the notion that eat and drink today for tomorrow we die, right? Be, drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. That's, that, that is the destruction of every civilized society. Every civilized society must be built for the future. It must be built with the preservation of the society and the bettering of the society in mind on behalf of children, on behalf of the kids. A society that disdains children, as Western civilization is beginning to do. A society that revels in its own sin. A society that revels in its own degradation. That revels in its own redistributionism, even at the expense of the long run. A society that racks up $20 trillion in debt, not caring how it gets paid off. That is a society that is doomed to fail and does not deserve a birthright. Okay, well, The people who deserve the birthright are the people who care enough about the future to plan and act responsibly responsibly for that future and on behalf of their children. So there's the little biblical commentary for the day. Okay, a couple of corrections really quickly. So yesterday I went after the song Heathens by 21 Pilots. I had a couple people write me, and I'd, I'd read this interpretation, but I feel like it's worthy of mentioning. And they said that the, the, the people who wrote the song, uh, the, the, the songwriter for 21 Pilots, I guess the lead guitarist, is it, or the lead singer, uh, he's actually a Christian. And what the song is really about is it's about how you should approach people who actually are heathens in a nice way in order to draw them in. If that's the case, then I apologize for misconstruing the song. And I'll have to take another look at it and see if that's actually accurate and accurate read on the lyrics. Probably both reads are possible. Uh, you're, you're taken out of the whole Christian evangelism part of it when, honestly, when the song is, is played over footage of, of Harley Quinn, but, you know, there you have it. Okay, other, other corrections. So earlier in the week, I did a Thanksgiving episode, and I thanked some of the people uh, who work with us here at the show, and there's one person I forgot to thank, and I've now forgotten to thank him for two days, and, uh, and I want to thank him right now. He's, of course, Jonathan Hay. In memoriam, Jonathan Hay, 1982 to 2016. Jonathan Hay is the greatest person I've ever known. Uh, and uh, Jonathan Hay produces the show. He's the one who does a lot of the hard work uh, behind the scenes. He's the one who takes all the blame when things go wrong. Uh, and so I will blame him for my own forgetfulness and forgetting to actually mention him after the show. But Jonathan does a terrific job, of course. And, uh, and we're very lucky here at The Daily Wire. We all like each other. So when I rib people, people don't take it too seriously, which is nice. Uh, and it's perfect. It's, it's actually really nice because when I really do rib them seriously and say they're doing a horrible job, they still think I'm joking. So it works out great.
Um, but Jonathan generally does, generally, does a really, really good job, of course. And, uh, and we thank him for his hard work. Uh, and I'll be seeing him for dinner at Jean Georget later, where I assume he'll come out and make a statement about how wonderful I am. That's, that's required if he wants to keep his job. Okay, so <laughs> tomorrow we will be back with the mailbag. Tomorrow's mailbag day. Yay, we love the mailbag. And if you want to be part of the mailbag, you need to subscribe at dailywire.com and uh, become part of the largest podcast, the largest conservative podcast in the United States. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.